Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Welcome uh, to our live stream today. I'm so glad that you have joined us, and I know that God has stirred me this morning as we've been worshiping, and he's been stirring me all week to speak to you, and so I'm excited to do that. Uh, Friends, our lives have been completely interrupted. Um, Our kids are home from school during the week. Our schools are shut down. Our teachers cannot teach the way they normally do. They're trying to figure out how to teach Online, our businesses have been uh, closed or you're probably trying to figure out how to work from home in the midst of all this. So what an interruption that we have experienced. And I just have been thinking, what is God up to in the midst of this? And I just wanna start with a question. What if I told you that God strategically interrupts our lives to get our attention? Or I'll ask it this way. What if I told you that God strategically allows interruptions in order to awaken us. This morning, uh, we're, we're gonna be finishing a series that we started six weeks ago called uh, 40 Days, and it's our uh, response to Lent. And this is the time where the church globally celebrates Lent, and we've been taking up spiritual practices, and we've been uh, talking over the weeks about prayer, about reading scripture, about fasting, Sabbath rest, and generosity. And today, I'd planned on speaking about serving or or sharing our faith, uh, things that I think are incredibly important, especially in this moment right now. But the Lord interrupted that and led me in a little bit different direction but it actually is going to make us better servants. It's gonna make us better at sharing. It's gonna make us better at all the spiritual practices that we've discussed. And we're gonna look at it from Matthew 26. If you wanna start turning there with me, that's the passage that we're gonna read uh, this morning. And this is a timely passage because uh, this is a moment in the life of Jesus where he has just eaten the Passover dinner the, the, the week leading to the cross is about to unfold. And this week on Wednesday begins the Jewish Passover. And this Friday, you know, we will celebrate Good Friday. In fact, we're, we're gonna be joining with a live stream a service of our Sending Church Crossings Community Church. And I will be there. Uh, some, some others from our team will be there with them and presenting to you. And so I'm excited. I hope you'll join us. And that will lead us to Easter Sunday next Sunday, which we are gonna celebrate on Line, But this is the timeline of the passage. Jesus is finishing that Passover dinner. So we're gonna pick this up in Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. And it says that Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. Verse 44, after leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. This is the word of the Lord. And so here we have this, this crucial moment in the life of Jesus where he takes his disciples to a garden called Gethsemane. Now that word means olive press. And this is at the base of the Mount of Olives. They would bring the olives down from the mountain and they would press them in this garden. That's where they would get their olive oil. And I just want you to understand the significance that the son of man is being pressed in the garden of pressing that he is deeply distraught. The, the, the word that he uses, that he's deeply grieved to the point of death, and that word had almost a sense of violence to it. Like he is um, tormented about what he's about to endure. This is a crucial moment because he's about to bear the sins of the world. He's gonna drink the cup. It was the cup of God's judgment and wrath because of my sin and your sin and the sin of all who would believe in Jesus. It's also a, a, a crucial moment because Jesus is making up his mind that he's going to obey his father to the very end. He says, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. See, Jesus made up his mind about you and he made up his mind about me in the garden. But there was something else that struck me this week as I was reading this passage. It's his statement to his disciples in verse 38. He said to them, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. And then he says this, remain here and stay awake with me. Remain here and stay awake with me. I just want to pose the question to you. What is Jesus seeking from his disciples in this moment? Right now, imagine his three closest friends. He's got his 12 disciples there. He brings them into the garden. Then he takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further into the garden. And it says that as he's with his, his three closest friends, he begins to be sorrowful. Like his, his, his face changes, his countenance changes. And then he tells them what's going on inside of his heart. And then he asks them, or he commands them, would you remain here? And stay awake with me. What is he seeking in this moment? Well, here's what I want to propose to you. I believe Jesus is asking his three closest friends to be present with him in that moment. See, the spiritual practice that I want us to talk about today is practicing presence. Now, I know what you're thinking, like what in the world does that mean? Well, I'll give you a scenario. Let's, let's just imagine that you're in a meeting and in this meeting, maybe it's in a coffee shop, you're meeting with the person and you're talking to them, but their eyes are looking all over the, the coffee shop. They keep checking their smartwatch. They keep looking down at their phone as you're talking to them. What are you feeling in that moment? 
My guess is you're gonna start to feel a little bit frustrated. You might feel a little bit angry. You, you, you might start to feel like maybe I'm insignificant or what I'm sharing is insignificant. You might even start to feel insecure because they're not engaging with you. So let's, let's play out another scenario. Imagine the same scene, you're in the coffee shop, but the person is locked on you with eye contact. Their, their phone dings and they stealthily silence it and put it away. They're asking questions about what you're sharing. They're, they're noticing your emotions as you talk. How do you feel in that moment? I'm gonna guess you feel a little bit more alive. You feel valued, you feel cared for, you feel loved in that moment. The only difference between those two encounters was presence, and presence made all the difference. You see, presence is, is a combination of being attentive, observant, and mindful. I'll say it again. Presence is the combination of being attentive, observant, and mindful. It's when we show up in a moment and we're fully there. And when I read the words of Jesus to his disciples, what I see is a friend asking another friend, would you please be here with me in this moment? He's asking for their presence. And what I see in this passage are actually three dimensions of presence. And I think these are crucial for us, especially in the moment that we're living in right now. Here's the first dimension of presence. Jesus calls us to be present to the Father. That's what he's calling his disciples to do in this moment. He's, he tells them in verse 41, he says, stay awake and pray. Like, like he, this is a crucial moment for me, and I want you to be present to the Father. Would you pray? Jesus calls us to be present to the Father. He's telling them, seek God. And all throughout Scripture, as believers, we're exhorted, that we're encouraged, we're, we're admonished, we're commanded to abide in Christ. Jesus said, remain in me, and I'll remain in you. We're taught to walk in the spirit. We're taught to be alert and sober-minded for prayer and to pray without ceasing, to be constantly present to our Father. God's called us to be present to him. In the, uh, in the 1600s, there was this uneducated soldier. He was a footman, and he um, became a kitchen servant in a Paris monastery. We know him as Brother Lawrence. His real name was Nicholas Herman of Lorraine. And he was known far and wide, get this, a kitchen servant. He was known far and wide for practicing the presence of God. People would come all around and people would talk and learn from this man who could wash dishes and prepare meals and practice the presence of God of God. He said things like this, I cannot imagine how religious persons can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. He also said, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet 
and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. I'm going to read that phrase again, continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. See, Jesus calls us to be present, to be attentive, observant, and mindful of our heavenly Father, a continual conversation. The second dimension of presence that we see here in this passage is also in verse 41, and he tells him, stay awake and pray, and he says this, so that you won't enter into temptation. And then he gives the famous phrase that some of you have used when you slept in on Sunday morning. You said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, the second dimension of presence is that Jesus calls us to be present to our own souls. He calls us to be present to our own souls. This is, uh, this is I, I think this is important important to understand that when he uses the word spirit here, if you look in your scriptures, it's a lowercase s. We, we, we think of spirit, we think of capital S, we think of the spirit of God, and the spirit of God is willing, right? The, that God's willing inside of me, but my flesh is weak. No, he's saying this, the human spirit, your soul, your soul is willing, but your flesh is weak. Flesh is the, is the bodily part of us. It's the sensuous part of us that calls out to be gratified constantly. He says, look, your soul, your human soul, it's willing, but your flesh, your sensuous nature always calls out to be gratified. It's weak. And I want you, I want you to attend to your own soul. There's a danger for us. It's a danger that, um, that we see the Pharisees had. Jesus had his biggest confrontations with the Pharisees who knew their Bibles. They, they had all the outward forms of holiness and righteousness. And yet somehow their hearts, Jesus called them a brood of vipers. They were like a bunch of snakes on the inside. It's the same problem that David had, the man after God's own heart who in a moment of, of being at home on his rooftop sees a naked woman bathing and he takes her to be his wife and then he goes and has her husband killed. What? The man after God's own heart? It's the same problem that we see of of pastors and spiritual leaders of all kinds that love God and they love Jesus and they're anointed and they're gifted and yet all of a sudden they fall. They have some affair or, or some sort of lapse in character. What is that? It's the danger of spiritual disintegration, spiritual disintegration. It's where we can hold the truth, the the highest truth, we can hold the highest truth and be unchanged by it in deep parts of our souls. Peter, the one that Jesus is talking to, has just told Jesus, I'll never betray you. I'm with you to the end, Jesus. I'm not gonna do what you told me I was gonna do. I will not betray you. And Jesus says to him, your spirit is willing but your flesh is weak. And deep down in the soul of Peter, there were things that had not been tended to. 
there was a pride, there was a bravado, but it was not built on the spirit of God. It was flesh and it would fail him. Jesus calls us to be present to our own souls, to actually take this knowledge of God that we love, this presence, this continuous conversation and bring it down, bring the truth down into the depths of our souls. We have a phrase that we use at Renaissance that says, all of life, all the earth. And we want to see this gospel of Jesus that we hold so highly to actually drip down into the deepest, darkest parts of our souls. But we have to be present to our own hearts. I, uh, I found some quotes of just amazing um, dead guys, people that were uh, amazing followers of Jesus in previous generations. Thomas Akempis said this. He said, a humble self-knowledge is a sure way to God than a search after deep learning. Augustine prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. John Calvin wrote, Nearly the whole of sacred doctrine consists in these two parts, knowledge of God and of ourselves. Jesus calls us to be present to the Father and he calls us to be present to our own souls. But there's one more dimension that I don't want you to miss. And it's what we read about at the beginning when he tells them, remain here and stay with me. Jesus calls us to be present to others. He calls us to be present to others. This is a deeply human moment. This is the son of God. This is the man who was fully God, who cries out to three of his close friends and says, I'm deeply troubled. Would you stay with me? Would you be present to me? Not as just Messiah, not as just son of God, but as a human being, fully human, your friend. I think of another story of Jesus in John 11 where his good friend Lazarus has died and he waits four days to get over there. Everyone's frustrated with him. He gets there to Martha. Martha says, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, he will rise again. Of course, she says, oh, well, that's, that's later. That's when, when, you know, at the end of the age, that's when he'll rise again. But then he sees Mary and Mary's weeping. And then he sees all the people around Mary that are weeping. And then he asks to see the body of Lazarus. And, and in that moment, we have the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's actually really profound. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus knew he's about to raise his friend Lazarus out of that tomb. He's about to watch him wake up, get breath in his lungs and step out of the tomb. So why is Jesus weeping? He's weeping because his friends are weeping. Jesus was remarkably present to other people. He's calling us as his disciples to be present to others. Do you want to bless someone? Give the gift of being present to them. Do you want to serve someone? Really hear what they need. Do you want to share with someone? You want to share your faith with somebody? Listen to them first. Listen to their hearts. Be present. 
to others. As Theodore Roosevelt famously said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So we're called to be present to the Father, called to be present to our own souls. We're called to be present to others. And by the way, all three of those are connected. If you remove one, the others begin to suffer. But here's the thing. When you look at verse 40, Jesus says, then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he asked Peter, so you couldn't stay awake with me one hour? You see, his disciples that he's called to be present to him fail him. And friends, you and I, we fail at presence. We have a presence problem. We keep falling asleep to what matters most, and God keeps coming to awaken us. And I believe that God has allowed divine interruption because he wants to get our attention and to awaken us to his purpose in his heart. We have a presence problem. I remember um, not long ago, a few months ago, Casey and I, we were talking about a, a big decision that was kind of a possibility for us. And we were wrestling with it and we were talking a lot about this decision. And in one moment in the conversation, I said, I feel like I can't even hear my own children right now. And here's what I meant. I wasn't saying that I can't physically hear them. I, I'm probably a little bit deaf, but that's not the case. It's that my heart was so distracted and busy and full that I couldn't be present to what they were saying. I found myself not being able to really be present to them. What I found is that we have some enemies of presence. The first enemy that I want you to think about today is the enemy of distraction. We live in the age of distraction. In fact, some of you are distracted right now. Our phones are constantly dinging and buzzing and notifying. When you go out to eat and you see another family sitting at a table, oftentimes what you see are people sitting at a table together, but they're all looking at their phones. It's like, it's a moment where we could be present to one another, but rather we just are distracted by our devices. We live in the age of distraction. Another, another enemy of presence is productivity. Now, hear me. We need to be productive people. I love work. We have work to do, and we've got to get the work done. However, I've found that in my own life, productivity can become an excuse. It can, it can become an idol because we don't know how to stop and be present to the Father present to our own hearts and present to others. It can become a powerful drug that gives us an illusion about our own lives. Friends, productivity can be a good thing or it can be a very destructive thing. Third enemy, efficiency. Now, I love efficiency. I have a German heritage. We're known for being efficient people, okay? I love doing things as quickly and as cleanly and as wonderfully as possible. However, practicing presence to God, to my own soul and to others 
is a very inefficient use of time. But when did friendship ever become about efficiency? Friends, we have a presence problem. We have enemies like distraction, productivity that becomes an idol, or efficiency where we cannot just stop and savor moments. But I want to encourage you today to be present. In fact, I want to get practical for just a minute. Each week, I've given you a challenge. In fact, last week's challenge was about generosity. And I got to see this week how many of you have been generous in amazing ways. I just want to say I'm so proud of you. Way to go. I mean, it's just been beautiful to watch. And this week, I, I wanted to give you a challenge. And it's, it's going to sound a little bit odd. But I just want you to go with me for a second and listen to what I have to say. Here's the challenge. I want you to embrace meaningful interruptions. Embrace meaningful interruptions. Here's what I mean. Many of you are trying to work from home right now, which means your, your spouse or your child or your roommate or whoever is there is probably at some point interrupting you and they need something from you. And here's what I want to say. Rather than just kind of shooing them away, this week I want to encourage you to actually engage the person. I want you to embrace meaningful interruptions. It could be interrupting your day with a walk outside, right? Or, or going and sitting outside and listening how the birds still sing in the midst of a global pandemic. Just interrupt your day. Embrace meaningful interruptions. I want to encourage you to battle distractions this week. Maybe that means turning all the notifications off on your phone. Or, or maybe that means putting your phone in phone jail, putting it away for a chunk of time during the day so that you, the Spirit of God or other people or time and self-reflection could interrupt your normal. Embrace meaningful interruptions this week. Um, a couple years ago, I was driving into Houston. I've shared this story with you guys before. And I was driving with purpose and conviction. I'll just put it that way because I'm typically on the late side of the spectrum. And so I'm driving, I might be speeding a little bit. I don't know, but I'm driving into Houston and all of a sudden I see cars scattering all over the road. Uh, I see, you know, screeching tires. I, I put on my brakes as hard as I can. I come to a screeching halt and the adrenaline is flowing in my body. I'm sitting there in my truck. I'm like one of the first people on the scene of this massive wreck. And I'm just letting the adrenaline kind of ease in my body. And out of the corner of my eye, a man in army fatigues runs right past my truck. And he runs right to the middle where there's a Ford Explorer and there's either smoke or steam coming off the hood of this vehicle. And my first thought was, that's really noble of him. And my second thought was, Chris, you're a pastor. You should probably get out and do something. And so I, I jumped out of my truck and I ran towards the middle a little bit slower than he did because I thought that thing might blow. Thankfully, we got closer and it's just steam but the man in the driver's seat was badly hurt. He was in shock. He was shaking like he couldn't stop shaking. We were asking him if, what his name was, if he had a phone, if there's someone he, we could call. And, and he cannot respond. He's so shaken that he, he can't even grab his phone. He couldn't unlock his phone if he had the phone. I mean, it was just, 
we couldn't do anything. And finally, I just asked, I said, hey, I'm a pastor, can I pray for this man? They said, yes, please. And I'll never forget putting my fingertips on the, on the sides of his head as it was shaking. And I could just feel the, the sweat of his brow. And I prayed with all my heart. I prayed, God, would you heal this man? God, would you just remind him of every truth that he's ever heard about you? God, would you just, would you just speak to his heart in this moment? And, and, and as I'm praying, it's just like this holy moment. All these strangers are joining with me in prayer around this man. And yet at the very same moment, all of a sudden, the cars that have been stacked up on the freeway start to get agitated. They, you know, we have people that start gunning their engines and trying to weasel their way in front of one another and they're honking and then they're throwing their hands in there and they're cursing and they're, they're flipping the bird at one another. And it's just like, at, at this moment, it's like this holy moment. And yet at the same moment, it was like the very worst of human nature on display. You see, their own worry their own drive, their, their desire to be productive, to get to their jobs, their impatience, their anxiety, distracted them from being present in a critical moment to a man who just needed their patience and their prayers. And as I was walking away from that scene and getting back in my truck and I was driving on to my meeting. I just was praying and processing what I just experienced. And I just sensed the Spirit impressed some words on me, some words about his plan of redemption. And here was the phrase, helping people become people again. God has a rescue mission. He has a restoration project, but the project is you. And God wants to awaken you to be present to him, to to your own soul and to others. He wants to redeem you. But it starts with you becoming present to him. I want to close with this. Just like that man running in army fatigues past my truck towards the center, uh, towards this, this wreck, in the same way, Jesus runs towards the wreckage of your life and of your heart. And he reminds us of David's words in Psalm 139. Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You've encircled me. You've placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. Friends, Jesus is present to you like that. 
through the finished work of the cross, through the blood that was shed, through the resurrection, Jesus Christ is present to you. He knows everything about you and he's made a way for you to become present to him that will actually enable you to become present to your own soul and make you present to others. Will you let God get your attention? Will you let him awaken you through this interruption? Friends, let's embrace the spiritual practice of presence. Let's embrace meaningful interruptions and let's not miss what matters most. Let's become his agents of renewal in the earth. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.